Talk to my friend Drew. And Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. So 50% of Biden's Twitter followers aren't real. Did you hear that story? I, uh, I was asked, as I often am, to go on somebody's radio show yesterday and talk about this. And, um, you know, I, I try to accommodate when I can. And that was the question. You know, they wanted me to address this revelation, you know, that 50% of Biden's Twitter followers aren't real. My question was, well, if 50% of Biden's Twitter followers aren't real, how many of his voters were real? That's, that's the question I wanted to know. Now, now this audit which was done for the social media giant by a software firm called SparkToro, they found that 49.3% of the president's followers are fake followers. Now, I'll explain why, why this is relevant. I'll tell you why this actually does matter, because it doesn't matter in one sense, right? Who cares? Uh, fake president, fake followers, fake voters, fake news, all of the rest. Uh, and one in five Americans, something like that, use Twitter. So it's not like it's not like it uh every American's on there depending on Twitter that that's where everyone gets their worldview from. But anyway, you know, this this flies in the face of what the Twitter CEO, I guess it was Parag Agrawal, what he was claiming before which was that that less than 5% of Twitter users were fake or bots. Less than 5%. And this audit found that 50% of Biden's Twitter followers aren't real. So now Musk, Musk is putting the, the, well, his purchase, his bid on hold. And he should. I mean, he's absolutely right. I mean, he it's brilliant because he's exposing the, the fiction that is Twitter. Now, Musk has said that, you know, uh, 20%, I think, he was, he was maybe suggesting, he believed 20% or more Twitter followers weren't real. And Twitter was saying, no, 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 it's less than 5%. Now, this is what I would say about Twitter. See, this is how the Democrats operate. Um, their, their opinions, their party, their policies, their absurd statements, their attempts to, you know, make outrageous claims that you know, a man can become a woman and men can get pregnant, all that sort of stuff. They, they, you know, they want to win. They want to win the debate out there by not having a debate. Right. And the way they do that is to make it appear as if there are more Democrats saying that more Americans holding that belief than there are. Right. If you know something's not popular, if you know, if you know there's no momentum on that person's side, you're going to speak out and condemn it. This is a way of suppressing people's voices. You convince people that your opinion is unpopular, that you're going to come under attack, right? And that's what Twitter does too. I mean, it is a cesspool, but I'll give you a perfect example. Jordan Peterson, right? Dr. Peterson, PhD. He criticized the recent, you know, Sports Illustrated, you know, they're, they're trying to be woke. They put this one 
one woman on there. I don't I don't even know her name. You probably know more about this than me. I know the story. I just can't remember who it was because I don't pay attention to the new music scene or whatever's going on out there. I, I don't care so much about, uh, you know, pop culture. It, it's not, not interesting to me anymore. The only time I paid attention to pop culture was when there, there was that website. What was that controversial guy's name? He was kind of fat and then he lost a lot of weight. I'll think of his name later. Um, Hilton, something Hilton. No, not Paris Hilton, but Perez, Perez Hilton. That, you know, I did, I got to admit, I'm embarrassed to say so. I did used to, many, many years ago, mind you, go and check out PerezHilton.com. Fascinating stuff, you know, just mindless fun. So, anyway, now I lost my train of thought. How did we get into Perez Hilton, my friends? How in the world did I, I descend into such madness and stupidity? So planning reality, that's what we're talking about, I believe. So, you know, this is what the, what the Democrats uh, try to do, though, right? And so Twitter's purpose is to, to drive discussions to, for example, if you can, if you can be one person on Twitter and you make, can make it seem as if, okay, I got it, folks, I got it, I'm back with you. Jordan Peterson, whatever that model was that was, she was hefty, okay? I'm not trying to be mean or crass here. I re- I'm really not. But I got to describe her. She was a large woman, and she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine recently. And she is not traditionally beautiful. Now, Sports Illustrated, you know, you go there, you put somebody with abs on the cover. It's like the ideal woman, if you will, right? The kinds of statues that Michelangelo would sculpt, right? That's what you would see on Sports Illustrated. It's people that had ambition, you know? It was, it was, this is what you could become if you put in the work. And now it's just, well, I don't put in any work or do anything with my body, and I'm on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So, you know, I do think this speaks to where we are as a society. Uh, not all of us, of course, but we celebrate mediocrity, and now we condemn exceptionalism, right? Um, we're, we're not striving for anything. It's just, uh, you know, I mean, what's next? Is Men's Health going to put Bill Gates on the cover? Look what you could be, too. But I'm not trying to be mean here, but I'm making a point about how Twitter operates. So Jordan Peterson comes on there, uh, whether the whether it's bots or, or real, you know, he said something I wouldn't have said it on Twitter. He said, you know, this woman is not beautiful, essentially, and, you know, no amount of authoritarianism can, you know, stop me from making this point. Something along those lines. I mean, he was basically asking for it. I mean, come on, look, you're on. I'm not condemning Peterson per se, but I'm just saying, you know, look. Read, read the room. You're on Twitter. We just had the Project Veritas video come out that showed these Twitter employees uh, come out and say their commie is, you know what, commie is duck, D-U-K, D-U-C-K. A commie is, you know what, and that they, they, they can't tolerate, you know, free speech on there. And they, they, they have, a, they, you know, go into fits of rage when they disagree with something. So that's why they censor conservative voices and people on the right, because the right doesn't care. You know, we, we're not pro-censorship, but the left raises hell and they censor. And so, you know, Peterson has since left Twitter because of all of the outrage, all the hate messages, I guess, he got in his direct, uh, whatever the direct messaging you can get on there and everything else. But it was so intense that he took a Twitter hiatus. But this is, this is what Twitter has been utilized for. I mean, a journalist quote other journalist 
using Twitter as some kind of uh, official journalistic outfit. And, you know, Biden doesn't have nearly the amount of followers that Trump did on there. But think about it. The, the goal was to convince the American people, what, during the election, that, that Joe Biden got 81 million votes, right? He was the most popular president in American history, got more votes than any president ever in America's history. And nobody really bought that, even at a gut level. Nobody bought that. And then you get in the whole debate, right? It's every vote counts versus every legal vote counts, right? So how many of his voters were real? Now, 50% of Biden's Twitter followers aren't real. I, I don't know how many, how many followers he actually has on Twitter. I'm going to get on right now as I'm talking to you, actually, and look, because I'm curious now. So President Biden has 22.3 million followers, apparently, on Twitter. I think that Trump had something like 80 million followers. But anyway, 22.3 million followers, which means that only 11 million, roughly, are real. So that's how Twitter can inflate, right? Make it seem like someone... They're, they're trying to reshape reality, supplant reality. That's my point. It's the whole function of the media, the way they cover stories, the way they talk about things, the way they put headlines together. It's all about shaping reality. And the Democrats have long been better at exploiting technology. So anyway, that's a big deal, right? Because if the bid that, that, that Musk put in was, I don't know if it was 43, 46 billion, whatever it was, 44 billion, it was a lot of money. And, you know, if 20%, if, if he bought Twitter based on Twitter's SEC filing or claim that less than 5% of its users were bots, and it turns out that 20% or more of Twitter's users are fake accounts, well, that significantly changes the value of Twitter. So we'll see what's happening. So far, the CEO has refused to comply, refused to, to actually provide insight into that. But this, this firm, software firm, SparkToro, found that 49.3% of Biden's followers are fake followers. Now, I want to update you on the shooting because last time I predicted what Joe Biden was going to say. I told you you didn't need to hear the speech. You could just listen to me because I, I can predict what he's going to say. And I was right. I was right. Just like I was right in the State of the Union, I was right on this. It was a very uninspiring speech, I got to say. Now, the media's out there talking about how emotional it was. There's nothing emotional about it. In fact, Joe Biden, I believe, tried desperately to cry, and he just couldn't, couldn't pump a tear out. No, no, no tears left in those dead ducks in his, uh, maybe the plastic surgery had some kind of impact on preventing his ability to form tears. Or maybe he's just a sociopath and he doesn't know how to cry. He can't cry. He's incapable of crying. I would buy that. Either 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 theory is in play. But uh, he went out there and, and he did the usual, you know. I mean, he, he, he listed the, the names of the victims. That's fine and very well. Uh, he did something I thought was quite typical for him because he can't read a room and the Democrats, they really don't have any social skills. They really don't. Um, he tried to relate to those victims' families that he was speaking to by bringing up the loss of his son, Bo. Now, his son, Bo, died, I believe, of cancer. And um, look, it's, it's, it's tragic for any parent to lose a child, no doubt. But, you know, 
we've, I think most of us, many of us have been in this situation at one time or another, maybe not with our own children, but when somebody else experiences a tragedy, when somebody else loses a loved one, is it appropriate? Is it a smart idea? Is it, is it something that a sane, empathetic, sympathetic person does to go and say, well, I can totally relate to your pain because I too have lost somebody. I can't relate totally, but, but I've lost someone too. No, you know, when it's not about you, Joe Biden makes everything about himself. When somebody loses somebody, you go to comfort them and you don't go talk about yourself or your own loss, especially when the loss happened in the last three days. But that's what Joe Biden did in Buffalo. Oh, Jill and I, you know, we not we're not totally, you know, but but we can we can understand, you know, we can we can get close to understanding. So, it was just a typical Joe Biden moment. Just just totally selfish even in a moment where he was claiming to be grieving with them. He made it about himself. Uh he did he did talk about guns, of course, like usual. And he alluded to the fact, like I said, you know, that essentially, you know, free speech is going to have to come under attack for Republicans. You know, we have a white supremacy problem in America. And, uh, you know, it's coming from, obviously, uh, one source, falsely. You know, they're claiming it's coming from Republicans. But anyway, it it wasn't a very effective speech, actually. Um, It it definitely didn't seem authentic. Um, You know, you you didn't miss anything, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Uh... But but one of the one of the highlights that I want to point out from this speech actually is that is that Biden he repeated this claim that he made over and over again on the campaign trail uh, a lie a lie that he spewed uh, when he was running against Trump uh, uh, you know Charlottesville right that that's when the city was want, wanted to uh, remove the statue of Robert E Lee and you had a protest and you had a bunch of uh, Antifa, which are actually fascists, that are violent types there, and they clashed with a bunch of uh, you know tiki torch wielding white nationalists who were there as well. So you had you had bad people on both sides, and you had very fine people on both sides, and that's what Trump said. You know there were very fine people on both sides, alluding to the protesters that were for taking down the statue and against taking it down. But of course, they were overshadowed and eclipsed by the violent Antifa and white nationalists there. But the Democrat Party, like they do, just like they're doing with this latest murder in Buffalo, uh, they lie about what was said. They lie about everything to try and dirty, solely destroy their political opposition. So in this case, it was Trump, and they said that, oh, yes, Donald Trump said that they were very fine, they were very fine people. The white nationalists were very fine people. That's not what he said, but they ran with that, and they still run with it, even though it's not true. But Biden, in this speech, he claimed, he, he, he referred to that Charlottesville moment, that clash in which protesters were killed, and he says, essentially, that he ran for office to fight white supremacy, right? That moment in Charlottesville, he didn't know. He didn't know for sure if he was going to run for president, run for office. He wasn't certain, but that's what did it for him. That happened, and he said, I have to run to defeat white supremacy. Joe Biden is such a hack. He is such a liar, such a liar. So anyway, that, that's what he had to say, too. You know, Charlottesville was the moment he decided to run for president because he's the anti-white supremacist president, don't you know? Even though he's a guy who was, uh, was a racist, notoriously, for most of his career. And even 
well, even recently he's said racist things. There have been countless examples, but perhaps one of the most famous, if you recall, was when he was running as Barack Obama's vice president in, what, 2008 into nine, And he claimed, you know, he, he celebrated Barack Obama because, you know, he was the first clean-cut, articulate black man, mainstream person he'd seen, right? So he's never seen a black person who was articulate or clean cut or handsome before. And Barack Obama's the first. He said that. He said that. So you've got you've got the chief racist up there uh, lecturing Americans about he's the anti-racist president. By the way, when you hear people on the left claim they're uh, anti-racist, you can be assured that they are the most racist people on the planet. Um. Biden also went through in the speech and he mentioned a string of recent shootings, past and present. But you know which one he did not mention? He didn't mention the shooting that took place the day after the Buffalo shooting. That would be the shooting in Laguna Woods, the one carried out by uh, a Chinese immigrant. He was an Asian man, 60 years old, shot up the church at a Taiwanese Presbyterian church. It was probably mixed. There were probably white people there. There were certainly Asian people there as well. But he did not mention that event at all. And he pushed this claim that we have a proliferation of of white supremacy in the country. This is, of course, the first instance that they've been able to find that they could pin in some way to a white supremacist ideology. Uh, But nonetheless, they're isolating this scene, which is horrific. Don't get me wrong, it's horrific. But they're isolating this scene and they're saying that White supremacy is running through our body politic. Now, we had months and months, of course, of violent protests that left dozens killed and injured last summer in the BLM protests. Uh, He didn't claim that any kind of hatred on that front was running through our body politics, body politic, even though $2 billion in damage was done. So he says white supremacy is festering and growing. Uh, And he also said we could keep assault weapons off our streets to prevent this. Uh, By the way, the shooter, he used a Bushmaster. It was an assault style uh, type rifle. Um, How could that happen? This shooter bought it, purchased it legally, but he passed a background check to get it. This same kid, the shooter, you know what? I'm done. I'm not mentioning his name because he doesn't deserve it. That's what he wants. But this this kid, 18 years old, that carried out these horrific murders, this mass shooting in Buffalo, prior to this, maybe a year ago or so, he actually wore a full hazmat suit to his high school, and he said that he wanted to commit a murder-suicide after graduating. And this kid was hospitalized for a mental health evaluation for a day and a half, released. How did none of this come up in a background check? New York State has some of the strictest gun laws in the country. This killer passed a background check. By the way, I've got another column coming out. I think I want to address it right now, then we're going to move on. We We got the economy to talk about. Uh, we got the primaries. I want to talk about what happened in the primaries with you as well. But uh, I, I do want to address uh, uh, some some things to finish up with this shooting and what happened. Because, 
you know, the Democrats are still blaming Republicans. We talked about this before. I want to get into a little bit more detail here. I talked last time about how Rolling Stone called the killer a mainstream Republican. Called him a mainstream Republican. But what I'm going to point out to you um, is not only that that uh, the killer was uh, neither mainstream nor Republican, but if you actually look in the manifesto, it proves the opposite. It proves actually that many of the killer's radical views aligned with those of mainstream Democrats. I don't like to play this game, but I, I want to make a point here because if, if a political party is going to be blamed for the shooting in Buffalo, it has to be the Democrat party. So Gendron, the killer, he was an avowed anti-Semite. Now, where are the anti-Semites in politics? Are they in the Republican Party or are they in the Democratic Party? Uh, The killer he included, by the way, we know this because he he included, for example, amongst other things, an anti-Semitic meme which attacked Fox, Fox News and its owner, Robert Rupert Murdoch. All right. That was in the screed, the manifesto, if you will. So the Republican Party is obviously pro-Israel. That's not even up for debate. But you have Democrats like Rashida Tlaib. You got Cori Bush. You got Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. How many times have they attacked Israel publicly? How many times have they come out in support of the violent pro-Hamas and Palestinian mobs? They hate Israel. Ilhan Omar, another one. You know, the ungrateful Somalian refugee turned American congresswoman. Congress pronoun, I guess. Well, she has equated the U.S. and Israel to terrorist groups. Equated them with Hamas, with the Taliban before. So if this guy is an anti-Semite, where does that come from? Certainly not the Republican Party. That's a hallmark of the Democratic Party, not the Republican Party. Anti-Semitism flourishes within the ranks of Democrats, not Republicans. Now, this killer in the manifesto also described himself as an eco-fascist. Now, I mentioned this before. I want to get into it a little bit more. It's pretty simple. Eco-fascists, they believe that overpopulation is contributing to the destruction of the environment. Is that a Republican belief or a mainstream Democratic Party claim? It's a mainstream Democratic Party claim. In 2014, I'll give you a perfect example. At the World Economic Forum in Davos... Al Gore and Bill Gates, they both claimed that contraception was essential to controlling the weather, right? Which was threatening man's existence due to climate change. So more people are contributing to climate change, so we need less people to control the weather. That's insane. That's insane. And and that's something that, that has been spouted out by the communist Chinese, by the way, in favor of their one child policy. In 2009, You had the vice minister of China's... They have this in China, by the way. Did you know this? They have a National Population and Family Planning Commission. So this vice minister celebrated China's one-child policy. Do you know why? Celebrated it for reducing China's population by 400 million people. So this is a Democrat thing and a communist Chinese thing. The New York Times published an article I found in 2015. Are you ready for the headline? 
the unrealized horrors of population explosion. In 2019, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, again, well, she promoted this eco-fascist tenet when she suggested that it may not be ethical to have children in the face of climate change. Who is it out there screaming, scaring people about the climate, making them go hysterical, telling people that the earth won't exist in 10 years, it won't be habitable? You know, they've been saying this drivel for so long. You know, over a decade ago, New York was supposed to be, you know, the West Side Bridge there was supposed to be underwater. The Maldives were supposed to be like Atlantis at this point. None of that's taken place. And before that, of course, they said we're going to we're going to die, you know, in a nuclear uh, in a nuclear winter because the earth was was going to freeze. And then they changed their tune. So anyway, this idea of overpopulation being tied to the imminent in habitability of Earth, it didn't come from Republicans. It came from prominent Democrats and the Communist Chinese. And so this kid, the killer, was racist. But you know what else he admitted? He admitted that he chose to carry out his heinous act of violence in New York. Do you know why? Because of its strict gun laws. He believed that he would be less likely to encounter someone in New York who would possess a weapon to slow or stop his attack. Now, which party is responsible for pushing legislation, which makes it more difficult for law-abiding American citizens to purchase and carry firearms to defend themselves? The Democrats, not the Republican Party. So the killer actually cites a Democratic Party policy as being partially responsible for motivating him to carry out the shooting where he did. But the Democrats are fixated, of course, on a different admission in the killer's manifesto, right? Uh, The killer talks about replacement theory. You've heard this everywhere, replacement theory. Now, this one is fascinating because, firstly, replacement theory is not a theory at all. It's actually an active policy objective of the Democratic Party, and they've been talking about it for years and years and years. They've openly celebrated it. Um, In 2016... There is a Democrat civil rights attorney. He's, he's named Steve Phillips. He wrote a, a bestseller in 2016. Do you know what the title of the book was? Brown is the New White. Now, replacement theory is basically, well, it's not basically, it is. Um, it is the, the idea of replacing white Americans in this country with illegal immigrants to change the demographics of the country in favor of of the Democratic Party, right? So you're importing voters that are going to change the demographics to favor the Democratic Party, all right? So 2015, for example, Joe Biden, he proudly predicted that starting in 2017, fewer than 50% of the people in America will be whites, European stock. And he said that was a source of our strength. Of course, the Democrat strength, Dick Durbin, hit the nail on the head, came out and said it. He said that the replacement of whites via illegal immigration was going to ensure what? That the demographics of America are not on the side of the Republican Party. That's what this has always been about. Illegal immigration, their their push for it has always been about demographic, a shift in the demographics of this country to favor them, right? To make it impossible for Republicans to win elections. People don't like the policies here. People don't like it. They want, so just bring in other voters and let them vote. And so here's the thing. Democrats have been open about talking about this replacement theory, their policy objective. They have acknowledged their intentions to replace white people 
in order to change the demographics. And now they're claiming that this replacement theory is some far-right conspiracy theory. A New York Times columnist in 2018, there's an, there's, they, they, they literally say, we can replace them. We can replace them. White people, that is. So I don't know what they're talking about. They're trying to pin this on Republicans because we've addressed it. They've actively promoted it. So it's insane what they're trying to do here. Uh, the old bait and switch. So tune that out. It's a bunch of garbage. All right, let's get into some other stuff. That's enough on that, I think. Um, well, you know what the irony is, too, about this this uh, this democratic ploy? Um, replacement theory, replacement policy. Well, you know, the brown people who are here they're turning away from the Democratic Party. So are the black people. That's why you have the Democrats freaking out. I mean, they're losing their collective minds because they see the polls. They see the polls. I'll get into a story about polling data in a minute. Um, So we had a bunch of primaries take place. And it's been a couple days. And in Pennsylvania, the results still aren't final for the, the Senate primary. This just drives me crazy. I got to admit, it drives me insane that we 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 conduct elections in such a way that you have to wait two, three, four days for the result, results to be in tallied. But anyway, it looks like Oz is going to win the Republican primary. That that would be my prediction. But look, this could change in between the time that I'm talking to you right now and when you listen. Uh, I can guarantee you, Barnett is not going to win. Um, last I checked, she had gotten just under 25% of the vote. And Dr. Oz had 31.2%. Dave McCormick had 31.1%. And they were only separated by less than 2,000 votes. So either way, the establishment candidates, one of them is going to prevail and not Barnett. So depending on how you felt about this race, you know, you're either elated and you think that Dr. Oz, if he gets it, he's the best, he has the best shot of actually winning in the general election, or you're disappointed because, you know, Barnett caught your attention, as she kind of did mine, and she seemed, you know, I mean, she was kind of the MAGA candidate, even though she wasn't endorsed by Donald Trump. But I, I think, I think one way to look at this is just the power of Trump's endorsement. All right. He endorsed Oz early, relatively early, and it mattered. It mattered. It may push him across the finish line. Um, but Doug Mastriano, he won the primary in Pennsylvania for governor. So that's that's good news. He was uh, He's not an establishment guy, to my knowledge. Uh, he's actually come out and, and criticized the election results of 2020. So certainly, he's not a pushover. He's not a, a establishment type if he's making that claim, if he hasn't been afraid of asserting that. And that, that's what's bizarre, you know. If you have Doug Mastriano, who's on the record, questioning the 2020 election results... Uh, he was endorsed, by the way. Doug Mastriano was also endorsed by Donald Trump. So another another Donald Trump candidate who won the primary for governor. But this is the confusion for me. Uh, you've got Doug Mastriano. So, so we're told what? We're told that only Dr. Oz can win in Pennsylvania because he's a celebrity. Because you've got to, what, win the votes of people that are independents and so on and so forth that 
Barnett is too extreme. She said things that were troubling in the past. Whatever. I mean, so on the one hand, we're saying, okay, only Dr. Oz, who's basically a Democrat dressed as a Republican right now, only he can win in Pennsylvania, which is a state that Trump previously won. And yet Doug Mastriano, who's come out and questioned the 2020 election results, which is supposed to be taboo, totally taboo. I mean, the, the mainstream media on our side, Fox News and Newsmax, and everything, they won't even touch it. They don't want to talk about it. But so I, I, so I, I, don't, I don't see how that, that jives. I don't see how that goes together, you know. How is it that Doug Mastriano is believed to have a chance at winning the governorship as a right winger and uh, but you know Barnett couldn't win because she 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 was a right winger I I don't understand but anyway Ted Budd uh, he won in uh, North Carolina's Republican Senate primary he was another Trump endorsed candidate I'm telling you these these Trump endorsements matter they matter and it just goes to show how important Trump's influence still is in the Republican Party um, one kind of surprise maybe not was Madison Cawthorn. Uh, he's done. I mean, he lost. I, I don't think his career in politics is over. He was endorsed by Trump, but he was ousted in the primary for that congressional seat. You know, he was under fire for controversial things. I guess he made some, uh, I suppose they were unsubstantiated, although it's not wouldn't be a surprise, but he said he was invited to uh, attend different events where, you know, people in D.C., other Congress people sent people you would know were doing coke and having orgies. He was invited to these things, and you know, a video emerged right of him engaging in kind of some crude behavior on camera. But the guy's only twenty six years old, so when he won, he was actually the the, the youngest uh, congressional, well, Congress person uh, in history, I believe. So he's got a bright future ahead if he wants to, to see where things go after this. He's just 26 still. and and But but another young Republican, speaking of young, another Trump-endorsed one, his name's Bo Hines. He won a different House primary, and Bo Hines is 26. He's the same age as Cawthorn. The, the, the biggest disappointment to me, though, was, was actually Idaho. Governor Brad Little survived. Now, Brad Little, if you'll remember, during the pandemic and the lockdowns, uh, he was just a wobbly-kneed Republican rhino. He was putting mandates in place, mask mandates, while other places like DeSantis were leading the way to opening up the economy. Certainly, Idaho wasn't the worst state to live in throughout the pandemic, but but Brad Little was just playing games. He was very weak. Uh, he was towing the line. He was not brave. He was not assertive. He was definitely not a DeSantis. And we need red states to be more like Florida. We need leadership like that to con- continue to influence the country. And so he, he was primaried by his lieutenant governor. I don't know if it's Janice or Janice, but it's McGeechan is her last name. I talked about her on, on a previous podcast a long time ago because during the lockdowns, she made headlines. When, when her boss, the governor, Brad Little, left town, he left her in charge. Well, I mean, by law, when the governor leaves, the lieutenant governor takes over. And so while he was gone, <laughs> she, she actually lifted the governor's mask mandates. So, I mean, can you imagine these two working together going forward, though? Do you think they're friendly in the Idaho capital? I would, I would like to sit down at dinner with the two of these guys. That would be a trip. 
Um, but one one other takeaway here, and then we'll move on. Uh, this one's interesting to me because in Kentucky, this is actually related to the Democrat primary. Well, Democrats voted for an establishment candidate over the far left candidate. So Morgan McGarvey was the more establishment guy. I mean, there's no such thing. Let's be honest in the in the Democrat Party, uh, except for you know Joe Manchin and Cinema maybe. But anyway, Morgan McGarvey beat this uh, beat Attica Scott, and so the Democrat voters there in the primary chose a more moderate Democrat candidate rather than so they in some ways these voters. Well, I mean they're showing why the country's going the way it is, which is towards a a bloodbath in November with the Republicans just just routing the Democrats because even in this election here, Democrats aren't voting for the radical leftists. And that's what the nationally the Democratic Party has embraced. They've abandoned any kind of moderate uh, uh, semblance of moderation or anything else. I mean, they're not the Democrat Party of old. They've just fully, fully uh, taken off and run with the ideology of the, the the farthest left components. And yet, you know, they're trying to paint Republicans as going further right than they've gone further left, right? I saw an article the other day, I kid you not, they, they, they were arguing that, you know, we've gone radical. We're so radical, but Democrats have actually become more moderate. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, oh, speaking, speaking of that, I didn't get to this story. I wanted to get to it. You, you've all heard Biden and the Dems now, right? When they speak about Republicans, they, they use the phrase ultra MAGA. Now, what's amazing about this, not only has this backfired, not only have Republicans, conservatives embraced it, called themselves ultra MAGA and think it's hilarious. They actually, you know, they, they were trying to use ultra MAGA, uh, you know, to beat us down, right? to assign some kind of pejorative term. But Ultra MAGA, actually, we're celebrating. We, we're, we're saying, yeah, baby, we're Ultra MAGA. So it's not having the impact that they thought. Now, this, this, this Ultra MAGA label that, that, that the Democrats are now using and Biden rolled out for the first time in a speech a couple weeks ago, it was the result of a six-month research investigation that was led by top Democratic operatives searching for an edge in the November elections. So they spent six months trying to poll this, trying to figure out how to label Republicans overall to give them an advantage in the November elections. And what they came up with after six months is ultra maggot. This is not surprising to me. You think about all the money we waste when we see these bills. You know, it goes to, to lesbian cows in, in Wyoming. And, you know, uh, uh, gay goats in, in Nebraska, you know, doing research on things like that that are just insane. And, and, and so here we go. I mean, they throw away, I mean, six months of research to come up with ultra MAGA. What a great use of their time. I wonder if Frank Luntz was involved in this. You know, Frank Luntz, he's, uh, he's, the, uh, he's the rhino. Well, he's more, he, he's actually a Democrat, if I was going to say. But, you know, he always used to do those focus groups on Fox News. Maybe he was on other networks too, but I always remember remember him on Fox News, right? They'd bring in a bunch of people, you know, all the colors of the rainbow, all ages. They'd sit them down in chairs on the set, and then uh, Frank Luntz would ask them questions, ask them questions, right? He was trying to get a pulse on the nation, and Luntz, of course, uh, told us 
with certainty that Hillary Clinton was going to win in 2016. So I wonder if Frank Luntz was a part of this group that, that came up with Ultra MAGA as, as being the label that was going to help them fend off Republican victories in the midterms. Uh, Anita Dunn. Anita Dunn. She is the Democratic messaging guru. Some guru. So she's the one... She and the Center for American Progress Action Fund. I wonder how much money they spent on this. I, I, that's what I want to know. How much money was spent on this? So, so anyway, so they say, this is from the Washington Examiner. So Anita Dunn and the Democrats, Center for American Progress Action Fund, they get together. They get to, we got to label the Republicans. We got to come up with something mean, something nasty, something that they cannot get out from under, something that's going to be horrible. Racist, we've already been doing that. Sexist, bigot, we've used all those. We need something shorter. We need something trendier. We need something that pops. And so, 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 so that's how they came up, came up with, uh, with ultra MAGA. Somehow they found that MAGA, they surveyed, focus groups found that uh, MAGA stood out in battleground areas for its negative ties. Wow. Anyway. All right. So the Ministry of Truth, you probably heard about this, right? It's been paused. I'm talking about the, the uh, what do they actually call it? doesn't really matter. Ministry of Truth is catchier. The, the, govern, the, the, the Disinformation Governance Board, I think that's what they're calling it, right? So, I mean, this is good news, but... I mean, look, this doesn't mean the Democrats are retreating, right? I mean, it's temporary. I mean, they probably did an internal poll about this, I guarantee it, too. They, they, they read the tea leaves for once, and they said, hey, in addition to all the other problems we've created in America, all of our unpopularity, maybe we shouldn't push this disinformation board. Maybe now's not a good time going into midterms. I mean, the Ministry of Truth here, I mean, it, it lasted about as long as... Kamala Harris's relationship with Willie Brown, I'm pretty sure. I mean, a fair, actually. He was still married at the time, but what is it? What did this thing last? Two weeks? Three weeks? Anybody know how long Kamala Harris's uh, affair with Willie Brown, the still married man, was? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it was months. I, I don't know. Um, so anyway, Nina uh, Jankowitz, she just quit. She was, she was supposed to head this, this disinformation board. And, and I mean, I, I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, she, so she's 33 years old, by the way. And uh, she was she was totally ill-suited for the job. I don't know how they thought. It's like, I don't know how they thought that, that she was going to survive this. I mean, of all the people you could put in charge of a disinformation board, which is already going to be unpopular, how do you put somebody in the job... Not only that has social media videos out there that are absolutely embarrassing of her singing. I mean, she's 33, but she's acting like she's she's 23 or younger, but totally irresponsible. You know, she just strikes you as a spring breaker. Somebody in Florida uh, going down there, drinking too much and acting a fool. That's what she 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 struck us as not a serious adult. I mean, look, the, the, the whole premise of this disinformation governance board anyway was, was absolutely unconstitutional, totally outrageous and against the American ideals, and of course was to promote censorship of, of political opposition here. It was authoritarian. Well, well, I mean, Nina Jankowicz, the person they put in charge with it, she pushed the Russiagate lies, Trump-Russia collusion, 
And she also was a supporter. She joined in the suppression of of the post Hunter Biden reporting about the laptop. And she's going to be the expert in disinformation. So anyway, I, I think that's nutty. Uh, I mean, that was nutty for them to to try and appoint her anyway. But anyway, so that's on hold. You know, everyone's saying this is this is some great achievement. Whatever. It's just one more thing that who knows? We will we'll see where they go with this next. You know, never put anything past the Democrats. They've always got some plan behind the scenes. They never let go of anything, as we know. Now, Biden, he's on his way. He may have already landed in Asia. Now, he, he went to uh, uh, yesterday, I guess, or two days ago, right? So he went and spoke in Buffalo, uh, made, made that speech, and now he's on his way, or he's landed in Asia. And, man, there is such a, a difference that you can see, obviously, uh, between Trump's foreign policy and Biden's non-existent foreign policy, the way he dealt with China and the way Biden is dealing with China. You know, China ahead of this visit has already been barking and Biden, of course, is just whimpering. The Ch- China's level threats too. They've said, don't you dare mention, talk about Taiwan as an independent country. Don't do that. And this administration is going to obey. I mean, why wouldn't they? I mean, we all know two thirds of the American people believe that, that Joe Biden's compromised by his ties to China. So he's going over to China. And, and, and look, China has openly said they have every intention of taking Taiwan, and they've said they want to do it peacefully. And this administration knows this. The Biden administration has acknowledged that, that China wants to take Taiwan, but they've also come out and said they don't have a contingency plan ready if China tries to seize Taiwan. Maybe, maybe they'll just seize Taiwan while Biden's there. Wouldn't that be great? That would tell us everything we know. Biden goes to... Uh, to, to Asia, and while he's there, China seizes Taiwan. But this administration does not have a foreign policy. Well, if they have a foreign policy, I'll tell you what it is. It's whatever other countries want is, that, is, is, is our foreign policy, right? China wants to take Taiwan. Our foreign policy is, well, go for it, China. I mean, the point is they're not looking out for American interests. They're globalists. It's a free-for-all. You know, who are we to make demands of other nations? That, that's the attitude. You know, who are we to do what's in the interest of America? Who are we to stop another country or influence and use our might to influence another nation uh, for our own countrymen's benefit? No, no, no. If you want to pillage America and that's your foreign policy over there, go for it. Who are we to interfere? And this is why we're experiencing the devastating economic havoc we are as well. We just had a, a, a negative GDP growth last last quarter, and we're on pace for a recession. Now, obviously, we had negative growth in 2020 because we shut down the economy. But do you know when the last time we had negative GDP growth was? That's right, the Great Recession. That was from December 2007 to June 2009. Now, some... Uh, out there are trying not to admit it. Uh, they're saying things like recession risk is increasing. They're forecasting it. Some are forecasting it for 2023, which would be, of course, after the midterms. I think there's a strategy there because, uh, I mean, what does a recession mean for Democrats going into the midterm elections? Does anyone think a recession on top of everything else is going to gonna help their chances? No. So a lot of these people refuse to acknowledge it. I mean, 
when the quarter next quarter numbers, this quarter numbers come in, and if it's negative again, we are officially in a recession. I mean, Morgan Stanley, economists there, they're saying that the probability is now 27%. And that's up from five, a 5% chance they projected in March. So it's a huge jump. I don't know why where, where they get 27%. I mean, try 99.9% chance. Now, there's another economist out there, Mohammed L. Arian. Now, he's more worried about stagflation, and that's fine. I mean, he says stagflation is unavoidable, and this is something I agree with. Stagflation is simply uncontrollable inflation, persistent inflation, and that's what we have here. But never forget that Saki and the White House, they told us inflation was transitory. They lied like they lie about everything else. Um, but Al Arian makes an interesting point. He says the Fed has to make a decision. Because, you know, in order to tame the inflation of the 70s, Reagan's Fed chairman, Volcker, he raised interest rates to nearly 20%. Now, it was temporary, but he went to 20% to choke the economy to try and stave off inflation, right? And so Al Arian is saying, you know, look, if the Fed continues to raise interest rates, we're going to enter a recession. So, it, I, I mean, unfortunately, we're in a situation where there's not a painless solution, I don't think, at this point. Um, you know, when you raise interest rates like that to slow down the economy and try and even things out again, you know, when Volcker did that back in, uh, well, the early Reagan years in the 81 or so, well, it sent unemployment soaring to 11%. That was in 1981. So with a recession, you typically have unemployment. And we ha- we, we, we know how to address this in, to some extent. I mean, look, Last time we had stagflation, what did Reagan do? He cut taxes. He put more money in, the, in consumers' pockets, right? So prices are going up. That's inflation. Prices are going up. So we have less disposable income because it's costing us more and our, our wages have not risen. So by allowing Americans to keep more of their money, it helps ease the burden. That keeps businesses operating, right? Keeps businesses growing. Keeps them hiring. Keeps them paying employees. And it broadens the tax base. And so these tax cuts that Reagan put in place, they weren't just individual, they were also corporate. But in terms of an individual tax rate, when Reagan took office, you know what the top income tax rate was? It was 70%. That was for individuals earning more than $108,300. And then Reagan's last year in office, the top tax rate was 28%. And that was for people making $18,550 or more. And right now, to give you context, the top tax rate is 37%. So Reagan got it down to 28%, and now we've got it at uh, 37%. And that's for income over $523,600. But if you make over $164,900, you know, it's 32%. Now, we have a progressive tax system, right? So as you cross over certain income thresholds, that amount up until the next threshold is taxed at a certain rate. So, but, but I want to give you an example because, you know, everyone's out there, they, they, I mean, to give you an idea about how, how much money is stolen from us by the government, look, you can file in so many ways, right? Single filer tax brackets, uh, you know, you got married but separately, head of household. So let's just do an example of single filers, right? So one person, you've got an income and you're doing your taxes. So let's say somebody makes... $164,925, right? So you pay, you're going to pay $33,603 plus 32% of whatever 
you make over the $164,925, right? So if somebody makes $200,000 a year, that person pays $33,603 plus the difference between $164,925 and $200,000. I hope this isn't too convoluted. So you have $35,075 that is taxed at the 32% rate because you've already been taxed um, before you get to that rate at a a different rate, right? So long story short, if you take somebody that makes $200,000 a year, they pay nearly $50,000 in federal income tax. So right off the bat, that person's making closer to 150000 Now, if you factor in state taxes, right, somewhere like California, somebody making $200,000 a year is going to pay another 10% or so in California state income tax. That's, you know, about another twenty k. So somebody making 200000 in California actually gets to keep around 130000 of that income. That is theft. That is robbery. But, but Biden is not going to cut taxes. That's not even on the table. Um... So, you know, the Fed's going to continue raising interest rates. I think we're going to definitely hit a recession here. But without a change in Congress, there's there's no chance things get better. It's literally not possible because everything they're proposing, look, gas prices continue to set new levels. I paid nearly $7 a gallon in California where I lived the other day. So we're facing prices like this and Joe Biden is continuing to uh, to restrict drilling. So gas prices are going to continue to rise. Inflation is going to continue to rise. We have stagflation, as that one economist said. It's guaranteed. And so all I can tell you is we got we got to vote these people out. Now, anyway, um, last order of business here. Like I said, this is going to be the last show uh, for a week or so. Just subscribe to my Substack, drewallen.substack.com, and I'll stay in touch with you. I've got some articles coming out. I'm going to post those there. I've actually got to play catch up. I've had two published. I haven't gotten a chance to, to put them out. I've got another one coming out tomorrow. So I want to stay in touch with you um, there. But go there, subscribe, and I'll be back with you uh, the week of uh, Memorial Day. All right. I've got to go to DC, like I said, then I'll be back, and then we'll I'll, I'll, I'll give you some updates. But So I want to thank you all for being with me again. God bless you all, as we say, and until next time.